So does anybody need one of these? If you didn't get one, you can raise your hand. We've got people. We did have people. Okay, we got one up here. Anybody handing out back there? Somebody, there we go. They're going. If you guys just lift your hands when they come. Sammy, is he grabbing them? We'll get you one. But these are for you. It's a gift. Um, so a couple up here, guys. One here, one here, one back there. There's another one. Yeah, just slip your hands up real quick. They're coming. Awesome. This, it's a gift for you. It's one over here, one over here. I feel like I'm doing an auction. Who wants to buy a revelation? <laughs> we'll get them to you. Just keep your hand up until you get it. They're coming. So this is not so that you can be, wow, that's amazing thing that Pastor Joe or Chad or Daniel, whoever's up here said. That is not what this is for. This is for you in your walk with Jesus. And I encourage you to put your name in it, put the date on it. We want you to believe that God can and will change your life. A couple more, guys, if you see them there. He's, they're getting more. Awesome. I love. Take them, take them, take them. Uh, if you have a friend that you think needs one, grab an extra one on the way out. Uh, it never hurts to have God's word um, be saturated in it. So that's, that's the goal, really. Um, they're coming. Here you go. So I want to... Because I know some of you are obviously new this week uh, from where we started. And so Revelation, no surprise, is a book that's controversial. It has been over the centuries, actually. Um, people have, some have made like crucial mistakes and dated things and actually lost their lives over the way they interpret this book. So I wanted to give you at least so that you know what lens is Chad and the teaching team, what are we looking through? And we're not saying this is the only lens, but I do want to give you the lens that the approach that we're taking, because I want you to hold it up against maybe the one that you've heard most of your life. Um, you know, my, my mom and, and grandmother had the Ryrie study Bible, Schofield study Bible. And so grew up definitely with that kind of framing, that interpretation, which we're going to learn that that's only about 200 years old. The church before that had not been thinking that way about this book. Um, but what is a lens for us to look at this? And so the first thing I want, I want to show you, come on in, everybody. All right. We got box seats right here. Popcorn is on the way. That's right. That's right. You guys know that there's candy and stuff in the front row? I don't know if you know that. Um, first thing I'll tell you, and this is something that is, it was just huge for me. I grew up hearing Revelations. Revelations. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the revealing, the unveiling, the pull back the curtain to see Jesus. That's what this is about. And so it's not meant to be a weapon that you can have now if somebody says, you know, I'd love to hear about Revelations. It's Revelation. Like, don't do that. But it is something, and I encourage you, if you ever learn something from the scripture and you hear somebody else talking about something that they quite, they obviously don't know that you know, don't go, no, did you know that that's what this really means? Say, hey, you know, it's cool. I learned the other day. It's the revelation of Jesus. It's that he wants people to see him. And so that's the first one. Second, written to real live churches. People just like you, struggling, thinking I don't know if I could do this anymore. This is too hard. It's a book that we're reading called Revelation for the Rest of Us by Scott McKnight. And he has a great quote. He says this, why were they saying that? Because at the time, Rome was the power that was asking for their allegiance. And he said this, there was too much Rome in the church and not enough church 
in Rome. So let's put it in 2023. We could say sometimes there's definitely, Lord, in my life, too much of world stuff and not enough of you in the world. So that's a, that's a good thing to think about. So Revelation, uh, there's a struggle. They had a good reason for being afraid. The Caesar of the time named Domitian had killed, listen to this, 40,000 Christians. That's like half a stadium. I think I might not go to church if I heard 40,000 Christians were killed the week before. And obviously it wasn't just in a week, but it was a theme. <laughs> Their heroes had been killed. John was left because he was old, honestly. Domitian was known to have mercy on people that were older dissidents. But why is John in exile? Interesting, because we said this last week, but if you weren't here, Domitian was fine with people worshiping Jesus as long as they said Caesar is Lord as well. So they were supposed to go to their church, house church, whatever it was. Then they were also supposed to show up at the temple that was built in his name, take a pinch of incense, put it on the altar, and say Caesar is Lord. And John said, no, I won't do it. So Caesar said, fine, Patmos for you, rest of your life. So that's where he is. Uh, here's a cool little fact. If you did this, when John did this, you know what they called him? Atheist. You're such an atheist, John. Why? Because he wouldn't recognize Caesar as God. So maybe a slogan at that time was, come on, don't be an atheist. It's just a pinch. Just toss it on. You can have your Jesus too. John felt like it was important to say no way. Last week we talked about this, but we're going to, and these things I'm saying, we're going to maybe every three or four weeks, we might just remind ourselves of a few of them so that you know where we're coming from. Verse three of chapter one is a key for the whole book. It's a key for the whole book. What do I mean? Blessed are those who hear and keep the words of this book. Not blessed are those who figure out all the intricate details of the future. Blessed are those who are transformed by the words of this book. This book is about following Jesus. It's about discipleship. It's about how you respond when you do have the world asking you to mix Jesus and culture. And just, can you just tone, can you just tone it down? Just calm down. Christians. You don't have to be all, he's the only way, he's the blood. Just, you know, pinch of the world. You'll be fine. Nobody will bother you then. Just quit saying Jesus is the only way. John said, well, I can't do that. Blessed are those who hear and keep. This book, and here's a phrase I wrote this week, the revelation of Jesus Christ will be a key to unlock this, my heart to faithfulness to Jesus, not a key to unlock future events. Again, free to disagree. It's okay. Maybe just don't send me an email for a while. <laughs> like, give me some time to teach. Um, so then I'm going to say this. Revelation is not intended to be a timeline of future events or cryptic code to figure out who the beast is, who's the lawless one, or even the identity of a league of nations in the future, or what is the mark of the beast? Is it three Gs for, you know, Google? Upside, I mean, six, six, you flip them. Let's see. Is it Apple? It's Apple, isn't it? I own Apple. Oh my gosh. 
Is this, do I have it? Am I in league with the devil? And we flip out when we get in this kind of mode. And people write papers and blogs and books and movies because we're, and I'll say this particular approach, and I'm just going to say it in, it is only 200 years old. So 1820, so the most popular approach to Revelation that we have, that everybody seems to think this is how it's going to go and all the books and the movies and stuff is only 200 years old, 1820. So I'm just kind of interested in the first 1800 years. I don't know about you. I, and I'm saying let's, we can learn from, there are at least four views on how to interpret Revelation, probably seven. We can learn from all of them because they agree on some of the biggies. And what are the biggies? Here's a couple of biggies that you're going to find in every view. Jesus wins. Number one. Number two, every generation should live like it's the last one. We're good. We can do that. But how we apply that last one is important. Because for me, the way I lived in believing and kind of operating in that view of the last 200 years was fear. Fear. And disengaging a little bit from the great commandment and disengaging a little bit from the great commission. Because what if they are supposed to be with the armies of the beast or whatever? So I don't want to do that. And all I'm asking for you is this, just a commitment to say, all right, I want to learn. It's a sign of growth and maturity in Jesus for people to say, I am learning, I am growing. If I meet people who are saying, no, I've got it all. I've been walking in it for 20 years. I'm like, yeah, so I might just go hang out. Another really awesome sign of a follower of Jesus who's maybe been following the Lord a long time, you can learn something from somebody who's brand new in the faith. And you can go, wow, I need that, Lord. I need that back again. How they feel about you, I need that. So learning and growing is a sign of maturity. So I am learning I'm also unlearning, and I want to just encourage you to do the same. Hold this lens the way we're doing it up next to the one maybe that you prefer, and that's fine. And mainly, get with Jesus. I happen to believe that those verses that say if you ask for bread, he's not going to go, no, here's a rock. Try to figure it out. I think he'll give us bread. That's a, it's, it's a way for Scripture to say the Holy Spirit's job is to lead you into truth and to teach you about Jesus. And so if you open this book and you say, Lord, I really want to know, and you do what we said last week, two questions. One, what's leaping out at you? And two, what's puzzling you? And then as we said, you can ask us questions. We're going to talk about it. We're learning. But just I wanted just to set that up. We'll probably do that every four or five weeks as we get into this, just to remind you, here's the lens we're looking through. Now, I want to ask a question as we start, and we have uh, verses 9 to 20 today. How would you describe your most difficult experience in life thus far? First of all, what is it? Just think about it. If somebody were to ask you, that, well, it could be, oh, no, it was definitely this. It was definitely this experience. How would you describe it? Painful, lonely, sad, anxious, a deep ache that you can't quite reach, annoying, a desire to just quit, quit relationships, quit work, whatever. Maybe it's something from your past. Maybe it's current. You're in it right now. You may be somebody who is apt to talk about it a lot, or you prefer to hide it. 
under work, achievement, or something stronger. Just, I just don't want to deal with it. Well, here's what's interesting. Jesus will meet you most often in that thing. Isn't that weird? Of all the things, like, no, 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 we've, we've all had a moment in church somewhere. Maybe it's not this church, maybe somewhere else where you're just like, oh, I just had this sense of just awesome. I felt the presence of the Lord. And then we go through this awful stuff, and it's rare that we'll be like, I so sense the presence of God and his work in my heart and life in that awful thing. No, we want the awful thing out. Jesus says, I'm going to be in the middle of the awful thing. That's what we're going to talk about today. Your holy place of exile. We are exiles. We're strangers. We're not from here. Do you know that? We're not from here. We are made for another realm. We're going to talk about that. Verse 9, just the first three verses here to set the stage. I, John, your brother and partner in the affliction, kingdom and endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God, the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit. What is that? On the Lord's day. I heard a loud voice behind me like a trumpet saying, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and my daughter thought this was hilarious. Philadelphia. <laughs> she thought it was like, how did they get it? What did, where were they, why were they sending it to Pennsylvania back then? <laughs> it's like, well, they actually had another Philadelphia. She goes, that was so funny, Dad. Dietary Sardis, Philadelphia. She's like, it's almost like saying, you know, whatever, Winona, throwing it right into the Bible. And Laodicea. So where's John? He is on an island called Patmos. We talked about that. He's there because he won't with Domitian. He won't say Domitian is Lord, but he's not there just because he refuses to do that. He says, I'm also, I'm here because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What does that mean? Not just that he's identified as a Christian, not that it's like, oh yeah, he's one of the followers of Jesus, we should put him out there. It means he was talking about it. That bothers me. Bothers me. Because it's hard to talk about him, isn't it? Most people in the West know some version of this. They do. And so it requires a walking in the spirit to even learn how to talk about Jesus I don't think John was standing on street corners yelling at people that they're going to hell, but whatever he was doing, how he was living this out was enough for Caesar, Domitian, and others in authority to say, yeah, you can't do that. You cannot be on his side the way you are. So it's a good question for me. It's a good question for you. How much of my life reflects that I am actually with Jesus? Is it enough for people to notice? Am I in conversations? These are just hypothetical, kind of rhetorical, a little bit, just to get you to think, but how much are people seeing in me? Then he says, your brother and partner in the affliction. I don't often bring up Greek words, but this one is just fun to say. Flipsis. <laughs> I am your partner and brother in the flipsis. Here's the more important part of this. It's fun to say, but it means tribulation. Now, Revelation, 
you're going to get to the Great Tribulation and things like that. And in the West, we have somehow, in our interpretation, figured out a way, a large portion, millions and millions of people have figured that we're not even going to be around for a tribulation. John says, no, I'm actually your partner in the tribulation. The kingdom and the endurance that are in Jesus. F.F. Bruce is a scholar who's with Jesus now, but he said this, those words and the order of those words, very intentional. You want to walk with Jesus? First piece in the kingdom sandwich, the first piece of bread is the affliction piece. The meat is the kingdom, and the last piece of bread is endurance. Eat that sandwich. That's a hard sandwich to eat, but that's what John is saying. You want to walk with the Lord? Here's what it will look like. I find it interesting, and I've read several accounts of this, but so we have that Western way of looking at Revelation, which can sometimes figure out, hey, we're not even going to be around for some of these hard, difficult things. You know that people around the world in other countries, believers, look at our Western approach to Revelation, and they say this, what are y'all talking about? What are you talking? We're in it now. In their world, following Jesus can mean death. And so a lot of them are saying, hey, we've been, people have been persecuted for so long. I don't know if we're in it yet. I don't know if what we experience in the West can be considered tribulation or persecution. But for John and those churches at this time, and honestly for a lot around the world right now, it's current. It is happening now. They are daily eating of that food affliction, kingdom, endurance. So John gives us a picture of this reality. If you choose to follow Jesus, you will be walking in the spirit and the dirt. It's now, but not yet. In the spirit and the dirt. Long as we live here and until we are with Jesus, we will have this fight and this tension of learning to walk with Jesus in the dirt. Honestly, I would prefer that you learn how to be a Christian out there and that you come in here and act like you don't even know what's going on. I would prefer that. I prefer that for me because it's easy for us to think coming here, going to this Bible study, doing my own time with the Lord, but nothing out there is being a Christian. And I think John would say, no, no, no. <laughs> you walk in the spirit. You can't just stay in the spirit all the time. You're going to be in the dirt of your life and of your world, and of this culture, which is hard. We will walk, we will face this tension. Can I just say this? Anybody who sells you a Jesus product that tells you following him means less suffering, no hardship, mishmash of maybe more money, physical health, trouble-free, American dream, you can do anything you want, send it back. Return. It is not what Scripture talks about. It's not the gospel of Jesus. This book is what John just said. This is the affliction, kingdom, endurance gospel. That's what we're in. We're going to face it. So he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Does that mean John was in a, he was walking around and then all of a sudden, he was in a trance and he started seeing all these things and if people saw him he's like looks like he's in a seizure and something's and you're like oh hey John's having a moment he's in the spirit i want you to hear those three words in the spirit and think this is everyday life for me this is going to be everyday life so what does it look like for me you're 
one of your pastors to step into being in the spirit. So I actually took a little screen recording of my phone. Um, and every day I click on that app right there, Bible app, imagine. And uh, I read this plan, One Story That Leads to Jesus, which we have recommended to you guys if you want to. And it's got readings and I like it because I can highlight and I can send stuff to myself and I work through it. It's also got devotionals sometimes that are cool videos made by the Bible Project to help bring understanding and give me insight. I need pictures. Give me pictures. That helps. So I do that. That's, and every day I do that. I spend time with the Lord in His Word. I also use our app. Uh, you can open up our app and there's a button that says prayer. If you click on that, we've got our prayer focus for the year from the elders. But we also have this thing called the daily prayer rhythms. And look at there, morning, midday, evening prayer. If you want to hear a bozo like me pray, <laughs> you can. And you can click on that. You can hear Kirsten, you can hear Daniel, you can hear Paige. And I even put my notes in there of what I work through and it changes. And I add stuff and I take stuff away and it's there, it's online for you to look at, to steal, to say, this is ridiculous, whatever you wanna do. But it's me showing you there's a discipline to stepping into the spirit on a daily basis. And you do it again and again and again. And then something starts to happen when you reach a place of serious dirt in your life. Not the Sunday morning feels, but the, this is really hard and I don't know if I wanna follow anymore. I don't like this. I don't like this isolation. I don't like this place, but you have chosen to be in the Spirit, you've listened to the Lord, and John has done it so much that when he does it, he hears a voice, and God is speaking to him. It's Jesus. It sounds like a trumpet. What that's saying is not that when he turned around and looked that Jesus had a trumpet mouth. That's not what it's saying. What do we think about when we hear a trumpet? It's like, is that loud? Yeah, that's loud. Is that going to cut through? Yeah, that's going to cut through. Is it going to be authoritative? Yeah, it is. Is it going to be like the announcement of a king and a war and an army coming at me? Yes. Like, it's like, okay, I get it. I get what you're saying, John. It was effective. It was loud. It was authoritative. And it was, to remind you, to be written down, to sent to real churches. We said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. These churches were struggling. They were hurting. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're hurting. They got a word in this book of Revelation, and they didn't read it or hear it read aloud in their churches and go, oh, oh that's so weird. That's so cryptic. That must be for a future generation, because we have no idea what he's saying. They didn't do that. They read it, and they said, oh, yes, that's what I needed to hear. That's what I needed to hear. So it was for them for sure, but it's also for us because it's seven churches, meaning the universal church. And so it's, it's traveling. It's traveling. It's timeless. So what did he see when he heard the voice? Verse 12, I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. These are the churches. Among the lampstands was one like the son of man dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace. And his voice came, his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth. 
and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. Anybody ever do that as a kid, even though they told you not to? You stare at the sun, just me. <laughs> then you're like walking around forever with like these black dots in your eyes. That's what I think about when I read it is like, oh, you don't, you're not supposed to look at that. You're not supposed to look at the sun shining at full strength. So right away, let's just ask a question about what he's seeing. He is on an island. He's in the dirt. He's in exile. Not great circumstances. He's not living on his 401k or traveling around. He is on Patmos. He's living out the last few days of his life there. And there are churches who are struggling to follow Jesus under tremendous persecution. And so let's ask the question for them and let's ask the question for us. Where is Jesus? And let's add two more words. Right now. Right now, where is he? Oh, he left. He ascended. He's coming back sometime, but man, he is sure letting the blub blub hit the fan down here on earth right now. He just must be off duty. Where is Jesus right now? I want you to let that question find a permanent place in your prayer life. It's in the Psalms. The psalmists experienced the dirt, their own exile, and you know what they said? Where are you? Why are you so far away? Is that okay to say? It's okay to say. It's okay to say. And wow, does he get an answer? Where is Jesus right now? Guys, I feel like if we could somehow close our eyes and be given a picture of this room, just this room right now, in the spirit, you know what we would see? He's standing right here. And even closer than that, he is, if you know him, standing right in the middle of your life and your heart. He's in your ear. He's behind you. He's before you. He's protecting you. He's wrapping you. He's fighting for you. He's speaking for you. He's praying for you. He is standing in the middle of the church that thinks this is too hard. This is difficult. Amen. He's in the midst of his church, not outside, not unable to help or distant, not above looking down with disappointment and how unfaithful you are. How could you? No, right smack in the middle. It's beautiful. That's our God. And you hear lampstands. We're going to get there later, so I'm not going to go into it a lot, but you want to think temple. You want to think menorah. You want to think Israel. Is Israel also the church? I would say yes. Yes, we have been grafted in. Thankfully, thankfully, we've been grafted in. No, we haven't replaced Israel, but God does have a definite definition. How about that for grammar? Sorry, English people. <laughs> a definite definition. Just, I'll, I'll throw in a double negative later. He says those who are in Christ are Israel. That's a pretty sharp distinction for those who maybe have thought, well, I can just be born Jewish and I'm in, right? He has, he's going to have some really important things to say. And we talked about the seven spirits of God represents the spirit of God, perfection. But I want to ask this particular angle of a question here. What is your experience of the closeness of God in the dirt? Not in the good times, not in the nice conference, not when you hear the worship song that you just love, in the dirt. On the day when you feel 
like a tool. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed and it didn't even matter which side it was. You're just mad and angry and short and you're just, every, your thoughts are all over the place and you're struggling and somebody's like, you wanna do Bible study? No, <laughs> I don't wanna do Bible study. I don't wanna worship, I'm not gonna worship. I'm not gonna spend time with you today, Lord. What is your experience of the closeness of God in those moments? Because I think what John is trying to say is, at your worst, he is right here. And he's like, hey, I didn't move back. I'm here. I'm close. And it's important for us to also think about how we see him. John had to think about that. What was his vision of Jesus before this? I remember him at the wedding at Cana. He was super fun. He was funny. He just, the life of the party, people loved to be around him. He said things that was like, he was a mic dropper all the time. Everybody would be like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe you said that. He would touch people that nobody else would touch. Kids would hang on him. We thought he didn't want to play with kids. We sent all the kids away and Jesus is like, no, no. And they're like hanging on his legs. And Jesus is like doing this number and trying to teach with kids hanging on him, playing with them, chasing him around. That's the Jesus I know. And now he's looking at a Jesus that he can barely look at, who's got a sword coming out of his mouth, and he's dressed in real specific ways. What is John doing? So here's what you're going to know about John. John, I love this. Um, a scholar Michael Heiser said this. He said, John is like a kid in a candy store when it comes to the Old Testament. He is like, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to take this, and this, and Jesus is this, and Jesus is this. So much so that scholars, biblical scholars who read Revelation go like this. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, settle down, John. Just pick one. He's like, I can't help it. Daniel, Ezekiel, Exodus, Isaiah, everybody, let's talk about Jesus. That's, that's John. That's what he's doing. So you may not have known that the Old Testament was a candy store. It is. It is. It doesn't have old mushrooms and stuff like that. It's actually a candy store. And that's one of the points of the book of Revelation is to show you this is not some new God. This is the God who's always been there. So what are some of the things? What does he look like to you? So he pulls from Daniel. Here's some familiar words. Daniel 7. I saw thrones and I saw one the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire. Daniel 10, I looked up, I saw a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold around his waist. His face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze. Ancient of days, bronze, lightning, fire. What's he doing? He's saying, mm-hmm, you mean, yeah, no. Yes, it's him. It's him. The vision that Daniel was given, this is Jesus. It's just a stunning statement if you were Jewish to hear that the guy who was walking around Nazareth, Galilee, and Jerusalem and was killed is the God from Daniel. Are you kidding me? That is what he's saying. He's dressed in a robe with a golden sash. He's a high priest. He's our high priest. He is a bridge builder. The word pontifex, which is priest in Latin, means bridge builder. Why? Because there is a chasm that we cannot cross to God and we need somebody to build a bridge for us. Jesus does that for us. 
He wears a robe that is also a king's robe. He rules and reigns. His hair is white like wool. I, I like to sometimes read something like that and not just go, okay, white like wool, move on. I want to think about it a little bit. He has wisdom. What does that mean? So I thought about, and there are people in this room that, and I won't embarrass you, but I know you have done work and you've got PhDs. And when I see people that do PhD, I'm like, how did you read all the words and write all the words? <laughs> it's stunning to me. I am in awe. I think it's like, wow, you did that? You got a master's in this? You did this? How do you do that? Same way I feel also, because I don't want to just say it's people with PhDs or education. When I see people who know how to get inside a car and know how all the little things work, and like, yeah, that's the flux capacitor, blah, blah, blah. 26.2 gigawatts and whatever. <clears throat> I'm amazed. I'm amazed at people that know how to do things. So Jesus has a PhD and is trained in everything. Think of how many dissertations are out there. Think of how many hours. Think of how many books are written. Think of how many people have studied the deepest mind this and physics and all this. Blah, 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 blah. Jesus is like, oh yeah, we were talking about that over coffee the other day. It's nothing to him, not meaning that it's like minuscule, but it's not hard. He knows everything about everything. And so when you come to the ancient of days and when you get up in the morning and you're facing the dirt and you're exile and you say, you got any wisdom for me? He's like, a little bit, a <laughs> little bit. He has all of it. Lord, do you know what to do? Yes. Are you sure? Pretty. <laughs> of course. The Ancient of Days, who has all wisdom, and not just that he has all wisdom, the Bible says he is the source of it. The greatest thoughts come because of Jesus. I love this. The, one of the books we're reading is called Discipleship on the Edge by Daryl Johnson. He's a pastor. Scholar, he says this, these words declare the agelessness of Jesus Christ. He was there before the beginning. He will be there after the end. He's here in the middle. He's been around to see it all. The rise and fall of ancient Assyria, Babylon, Persia, the rise and fall of Greece, Rome, the rise and fall of world-dominating empires, Spain, Britain. He's been around. He's watched the ascent and the collapse of ideologies, apartheid, Marxism, Darwinism, Rulers have had their day. Systems of thought have had their day. But he's the only one still standing. He's the only one still standing. So can we trust him that when we're in the middle of the dirt, he might have something to give us and to say to us? Ancient of days. Eyes like fire means he can see through our facade. Nothing you can hide. We're pretty good, though, aren't we? Coming into church. You got your defenses up against that Yahoo up there speaking. Can't get to me. But sometimes you're by yourself and the Lord is speaking to you and you, you are locked down. You're in one of those days. No, I'm not going to be in the spirit. <laughs> not going to do it. And what does he do? Like a flower that pops up through the concrete. He just finds a way in gets in there, eyes like fire. One who can say, I know you. I know you, every part of you. 
sees clear. He's going to be saying this next week. Pastor Daniel will take us into chapter two. Jesus is going to say to the churches, I know this about you, and I know this about you, and I'm not seeing this in you, but I need to. And he's going to be right. He can correctly look at your life and tell you what needs to happen. They're pure. They're also purifying. Just to have him look at us. They illuminate. They find every dark corner. His feet are like burnished bronze. Daniel's vision was of a statue and the feet were mixed clay and iron, which meant you'll stand for a little bit, but eventually crumbled. And yes, it dealt with a particular kingdom in history, but it's also archetypal, meaning it carries and it's timeless. And so that any kingdom that sets itself up against the kingdom of God is clay and iron trying to mix and it'll never mix. Yet Jesus' feet, he stands and it is refined. He holds. He holds. Nothing knocks him down. Nothing takes him out. A voice like raging waters. This is where John is candy storing it again. Ezekiel 1, Ezekiel 43, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 49. It is a voice and waters that he cuts through when you're hiking in the mountains. He used to go hiking in the Smoky Mountains and we would do these really long three, four hour hikes that were eventually ending in a waterfall. And you get within a few miles of the waterfall and what do you hear? And you're like, wait, 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 we're close. He cuts through, his voice cuts through, but it's also a sword. It accomplishes things, it moves things. Dressed in a robe, a high priest, a king, ancient of days, wise, eyes of fire, feet like bronze, a voice like raging waters, and a sword that accomplishes, creates, speaks, and things happen. Do you see this Jesus in your dirt? You see him? You hear his voice? Where is Jesus? Right here. <laughs> right here. Do you see him? Last few verses, verse 17, when I saw him, I said, wow, Lord, you are awesome and so warm. It's just like a light, it's like a glow. It's like right there, like that light. It's like, wow, I saw the Lord. It was so cool. Then we had coffee. I saw the Lord and I fell at his feet like a dead man. You may say, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. It is. It happens every time in the Bible. Anytime anybody gets close to him, to this God, they feel like they're going to die. He laid his right hand on me, though. You kind of say, though, because he was about to die and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Similar to last week, Alpha and Omega, once he was, when he was and is and is to come, I am the living one. And of all the things he could say, he says this, I was dead. But look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I have the keys because I went and got them. I have the keys to death and Hades. Therefore, you can confidently write down what I'm about to tell you, because I know what I'm talking about. Write what you've seen, what is, and what will take place after this. And don't get hung up on those as if like, oh, there's the code. That's how we know it's going to be what will take place. Somebody's trying to say, if God's going to do something, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It will take place. The mystery 
of the seven stars you saw on my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. Seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So just a few more things and then we're going to go to the table. We must have this experience. Not like if you've only had the warm fuzzies for Jesus, you've only just been kind of moved and like, oh, this is great. He loves me. It's good. You need this one. You need that. I think I'm going to die. You need to be able to say, if I get too close to Jesus, I might die. Like you're touching something so powerful. I'm, I get on a kick. And so last week I talked about Oak Ridge, which is close to my house in Knoxville. And so I was looking up some other stuff in, in the other part of the Manhattan Project in Los Alamos. And you may know of this uh, incident in history. There were a few people that died during the making of the atomic bomb. And one was on a random experiment that they were doing. It was so random that the other guys in the lab were like walking around going like, oh, this is going to be boring. And they're like standing on the other side of the lab, like taking some notes, checking on another experiment. The guy was in the center and they ended up, he was messing with the core and his job was to lower the core down gently. And so he had a screwdriver in his hand and he was just going to basically just barely pry it into place and put it there and it slipped. And the guy that was on this side of the room, is, he said, I was turned with my back, he saw, but I saw the whole room light up with blue. And he goes, and it was full daylight coming through the windows already. He goes, but this flash of blue. And scientists now say that that was one, about one one millionth of the power of the eventual atomic bomb. But it slipped, the screwdriver hit something and the core landed. It was there just for a millisecond. And he did something very brave, which is to flip it out onto the ground because otherwise it would have been like, you know, they said he didn't want to kill his friends. He died nine days later, radiation poisoning. Just absolutely destroyed his body because the human body is not made to take that kind of power. We know this just from things like heights. Some of you may be like, I'm not afraid of heights. Yet, if you fall from them, you'll die. If we put our hand, this body that is 98.6 degrees, yeah, 98.6 degrees into 212 boiling, bad news, right? Those are simple examples, but we got to get to this place where we know the power of the one, the creative one, not so that we can be afraid, but so that we can connect to life itself. And I'll say this, like you can have days of doubt and struggle in the future. If you've experienced Jesus in this way, that in those dark moments, you will know, you will say, yeah, but that was real. That, if there's something I pray for people that don't know the Lord or people that I think kind of know about him a little bit. This is one of the main things I pray specifically. God, give them an encounter, an experience with you that is like this, where they are like, oh my goodness, I just about got destroyed. I can't take it. And then it's the same pattern and it happens all the time in the Bible. So many times, Isaiah, different people coming into God's presence and they're like, I'm going to die. And he's like, hold on there. I got you. And he touches. And I think it's more than just 
this thing happened. It's, I am your access. I'm the way you aren't destroyed. The way God works in history, he says it right there. I was dead. The life, death, resurrection of Jesus is the way God works in human history. And then one final thing, and we'll just uh, I'll say this about the angels, because I think it's really cool. Remember I mentioned a minute ago, if we could close our eyes and we could see Jesus standing here, I think we can draw from the text and you want to use scripture to interpret scripture, the rest of scripture, that when he says the angels of the churches, because he says, write it, give it to the angels of the churches. I think if you closed your eyes, we'd see some stuff. We would see, if we could see into the spiritual realm, I bet we would be in shock, first of all. And so I don't know exactly how it works, but I do believe that some scholars don't like this. They don't like the spiritual side of things. And they're like, oh, angel means messenger. And so it's probably just the guy who's delivering the Revelation scroll. Yeah, Jesus has him in his, no, come on. We know, look in Daniel chapter 10. He prays, takes 21 days till Michael, the angel gets to him. Why? He's battling the prince of Persia, whoever that is. Psalm 91, he will give his angels charge concerning you to protect you in all your ways. Matthew 4, angels attended to Jesus in the wilderness. Luke 22, an angel strengthened Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. What's it telling us? What's Jesus trying to tell us by letting us see? Why can't he just give us the message? Why does it have to go through the angel? I think because there is a reality of your home is not here. And I'll say this, it's not here yet. Heaven isn't out there. Heaven will come here and rejoin and be transformed and new creation. So why do we get together? Why do we, why do we meet here one-on-one, -on -one, small groups to remind us of our heavenly existence and identity? Our worship experience at Pleasant Valley Church is modeled imperfectly, <laughs> but it's modeled on what we read about happening in heaven around the throne of worshiping and giving him honor and praise and remembering what it's done. We are members of an eternal kingdom. Final thing, what's the mystery? The mystery of the seven stars and the angels and the lampstands. I, here's, I read this from a scholar, G.K. Beale says this, and I paraphrased it because it's a little too heady. So here's my paraphrase. The mystery is the reality that Jesus reigns with and through, it kind of stinks, but I'm going to say it, suffering. Your experience of God in suffering, in the most difficult moments, I would say probably even more important than when you get the warm fuzzies on the good days. How you process that, how you see him. It's because it's the mystery of the cross. It's the same mystery by which Jesus himself, though he was the creator of the universe, humbled himself, submitted to the power of death. A mystery that wherever you are, no matter what your exile experience is like, no matter how far you think you can run from him, he's close. He desires to be in the middle of your life. He can make any ground you stand on holy. You can walk in the spirit and on holy dirt. We can ask the beautiful question, where are you right now, Jesus? And we can marvel when we find him in our midst, right here, and 
we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We won't die because he's made a way. And he asks us to come boldly approach the throne of grace. Jesus is the one who has gone into the Holy of Holies, ripped the curtain, which was his body, so that we can experience him too. I'm going to ask those who are serving communion, our worship team, to come on forward. So we come to the table to remember. Some of you maybe don't know the Lord yet, and you've not said yes to his life, death, and resurrection. And I just want to invite you in this moment to consider the work, the life of Jesus, what he has accomplished and we're going to do what John did, which uh, he pulled from the Old Testament candy store. So I'm going to open up to Isaiah 52. And I love doing this. It's so important that we read all of our Bible and we see this one story that leads to Jesus. So let's, uh, in the spirit, let's do the in the spirit together thing right here. Let's lean in. Isaiah 52. God says this. See my servant. Who's the servant? Jesus. He says, I want you to see him and see this. He will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up. Ooh, what's that talking about? It's the cross. Greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not even look like a human being anymore. But so he will sprinkle many nations. Guys, this is hundreds of years before the cross. Hundreds. He will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. They will see what had not been told them. They will understand what they had not heard. But who believes it? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He didn't have an impressive form. He didn't look like a king that we should desire him. He was actually rejected and despised. A man of suffering in the dirt a man of suffering. He knew what sickness was. He was like somebody that people turned away from. He was despised, we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, he carried our pains. We in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God, afflicted, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace. And if we are willing, we can be healed by his wounds. So that Jesus, that glorious God with eyes like fire and feet that have stood the test of time and every nation and every ideology and wisdom to create the world with a voice stood before a group of guys 2,000 years ago and said this. First, he, he actually said a lot. John 17 gives you a lot of the other stuff that he said in those moments. But at one point during the night, he grabbed the bread, 
And I think there was probably a really sweet moment that Jesus had for each of them because what is this about, what's about to happen? Really difficult things, <laughs> really difficult things. But looked at them with love and said, hey, this is my body broken for you. So let's take and eat together. He also took a cup. After giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day, that day of days when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake together. Jesus, we are so desperate for you to experience you, to know you, to see and God, I, I just love that as you saw these churches struggling, and I'm sure you see our lives and you see the things we're going through, and Lord, you, you know that the thing they needed the most was to see you, to hear who you are, to know the wisdom, to know and experience the strength, to have you look at their hearts and lives and say, I know you to have hope of our priest who is building bridges for us, our king who is reigning, our God who speaks and things happen. And so Lord, as we just close together and sing a little bit, um, and as we uh, spend time uh, maybe around the table later eating, uh, God, would you just give us an awareness and understanding, Lord, of who you are, especially in the middle of our struggle in our exile. We bless you, Jesus. Amen. If you feel so led, let's stand together and sing.